0: Welcome to Global Innovators, brought to you by World One Media, a UAE-based content agency with an eye on the developing world. I'm Jim Stenman, and in this podcast series we meet inspiring individuals exploring new frontiers, risking it all to bring their ideas to life, learning key lessons along the way, and growing as human beings on that journey. The path to success rarely happens in a straight line. It takes ambition, perseverance and strength of character. I hope these conversations will inspire people to take charge of their own destiny and reach beyond what they think is possible. Coming up, Bas Ackerman, a young talent that's shaking up the world of real estate in Dubai, a place synonymous with extreme luxury and record breaking structures like the Burj Khalifa. But as the South African property developer experienced firsthand, there's a huge gap in the rental market when it comes to affordable and flexible options, one that he's now looking to fill by bringing the concept of co living to Dubai tapping into the Emirates' young, often transient, expat population, as well as hybrid work models that have already become the new normal. Bringing his disruptive vision to life though, well, it was a bit of a roller coaster journey, from finding the right partners to delivering the project on time. I caught up with Bass recently. You started working on Hive before Covid, which has really changed the world as we know it. We've seen significant supply chain disruption, which has caused severe delays for businesses globally. And many are also really struggling to find the right talent due to worker shortages. I'm curious, did the pandemic in any way change the plan that you had already put in motion for this project?
1: I think when we started Hive, uh, the sort of underlying principle, one of the underlying principles was this idea of trying to bring flexibility to, to real estate uh, and specifically residential real estate. One of the things we felt was, was lacking was this idea of having a, a flexible on-demand type of living solution, which just wasn't here in the market. You know, traditionally, you move to Dubai, if you wanted to find a place to live, you'd have to commit to a 12-month lease agreement, uh, large upfront payments. Um, and quite steep uh, penalties for for terminating your lease early. So that's one of the key things we wanted to try and get away from. And I think COVID, in a sense, has really played into that uh, in the sense that more and more people are demanding flexible living solutions. And we've seen this recently uh, coming out of the pandemic, the last six months, the the kind of surge we've seen in the short-term letting market in terms of owners repositioning their apartments as short-term lets and seeing a massive demand for this. So I think I think, us offering flexibility is one of the cornerstones of our product, uh, really sort of hits home with our consumers. Uh, and I think COVID's only, only accelerated that.
0: Let's rewind and go way back, if you will. You grew up during post-apartheid South Africa, and I'd assume that your upbringing was very different from that of your parents in terms of exposure to other cultures. How did that shape your outlook as a young South African in the '90s and beyond?
1: Very interesting. I mean, I was born in '89. Um, the The first democratically elected party, the ANC, was elected into power in 1994. So I was only five years old. I had very little idea of what was happening around me at the time. It must have been eye opening for my parents to see us as a generation grow up and. You know, freely mixing amongst each other and playing sport um, with with you know other cultures and races that were previously disadvantaged and sidelined. So it's absolutely worlds apart. And I think the country has come a long, long way. In 1995, uh, as a South African, we all follow rugby. Uh, we won the Rugby World Cup, and that's when we had that iconic moment of Nelson Mandela coming together um, with what was traditionally a, a very white-dominated sport, exclusively, actually, almost and lifting the the, the trophy. And uh, at that point in time, as a six-year-old, I could feel that there was something special, there was something different about the moment, but it was kind of lost on me, the, the bigger picture. Because of my upbringing, I've got a really, you know, I'm really focused on inclusion and diversity and um, treating everyone the same.
0: That's beautiful. And, and certainly a great mindset to have given social movements for change that we've seen in the last few years, especially in the US and the UK. Um, you very much arrived in Dubai with a mission to build a career in real estate. I'm curious, do you remember the moment you fell in love with the sector? Is is there a specific moment that stands out to you?
1: I, I kind of do. I, I recall one moment when um, my dad was, at the time where I was living, um, which was a, a town called George, which is on the coast uh, about four hours from Cape Town, uh, at the time when I was kind of my early teens, I was going through a bit of a real estate boom and uh, a lot of golf course developments, a lot of estates being developed. And uh, at that point in time, my dad was um, dabbling in buying plots, building homes, flipping homes. And I remember going to some of these sessions with my dad where we'd literally go to a porter cabin in the middle of nowhere, look at models with renders and pictures up on the wall and all the plots, thousands of plots laid out. And um, you know, brokers selling you on which plot is best and why to choose this plot and not that plot, and I think that whole process fascinated me in the sense of being able to take a piece of dormant land and just the the power and the creativity that goes into shaping that into a place that people want to be, that people want to live in and interact. And, and I just remember that moment of being in the car. Driving to one of these sales offices and just thinking to myself, this is so cool. Right? This is really, really cool. And thinking, I'd love to get into that, and I'd love to, I'd love to create ideas from scratch.
0: And that, in a way, set you up on a journey that would eventually take you to Dubai. Aside from economic migrants and refugees, not everyone, quite frankly, has the balls to leave their home country and try their luck somewhere else. But I understand that even branching out of your immediate Afrikaner community, in a way, prepared you for what was to come. Tell me more about that.
1: You know, I was adamant that I wanted to study real estate development. And uh, in South Africa, the only university offering real estate development was the University of Cape Town, which is traditionally, which is an English university. I grew up Afrikaans speaking uh, English was my second language. I had zero friends who could speak English. And I had to take the difficult call to go to UCT, pursue my uh, real estate development career. And I think that transition going from a a very sort of conservative Afrikaans community, not really interacting with people in English, uh, not really understanding the culture and the dynamics going to UCT and being exposed to what was a a way more liberal dynamic English society. And, And just having to make that transition, I think really prepared me well. So by the time I graduated, I was so hungry and so keen to get into the real estate industry. Honestly, I would have gone anywhere in the world. Um, The fact that it was Dubai and that I had an opportunity to come up here was sheer coincidence, but I was very happy to take it. And so as a 22 year old moving to Dubai and coming to work in the real estate industry as a project manager, working on projects that I wouldn't have a look at until I was 35, 40 back home uh, was just the best thing ever. At that time, we were doing projects such as uh, new builds, uh, office buildings, residential buildings, hotel developments, and uh, man, it was just the best, best possible thing for my career, getting exposure to that level of projects. I just think we all know the scale of Dubai's ambitions and aspirations and uh, just very happy to be able to plug into that. and. Uh, it was a thriving industry uh, at that point in time, and it is still it is real estate uh, in terms of its contribution to GDP. So, very, very happy to have landed up here.
0: Excellent, excellent. And and what surprised you then the most about Dubai in those early years, especially as a young, newly arrived South African kid? I think it was just the scale and the ambition of of the projects that you saw here. You
1: know, you'd you'd look at a residential development with. 20 towers. Um, You'd look at a hotel worth, you know, a billion dollars being developed. And it was just the sheer scale and audacity of the projects. And I think the other thing that, that really struck me was also the the age of the people working on these projects, you know, these projects often were, were led by people that were well-advanced and very experienced people, but the people on the ground doing the day-to-day work were young expatriates, you know, like myself. And I, I think I was just amazed at the, the opportunity that you have to prove yourself in this place and to advance your career very, very early on in, in your career.
0: Absolutely. That's, uh, that's Dubai in a nutshell. What led you down the path of starting your own business, especially the idea of bringing something completely new to market like Hive, which is literally just about to launch?
1: I started questioning a little bit the the need for some of the projects that we're working on, you know, in, in the sense of, is there really demand and a need for another seven-star hotel? Uh, is there really, will there be an uptake for another vanilla residential development and why are we working so hard and stressing ourselves out and for these kind of environment or for these kind of developments and I think I I got to the point where I just said I want to take some time off just to reevaluate whether this is really what I want to do and whether this is really what I'm in love with and so with the help of my wife uh, who really kind of gave me the ultimatum in terms of saying bias, either cheer up about your work or you know take a little bit of a break clear your head and find out what you want to do i finally came to the point where where i said enough uh, i'm going to take a bit of time off and just just reevaluate where i want to go i had this romantic notion of taking a year off and you know going on a retreat in bali and you know spending some time by myself and finding out what's the meaning of life and you know just kind of you know, and I thought in one moment an idea would come to me, and all of a sudden I'd know this is my passion. I want to pursue this, and I think it was on day four of sitting at home that I started just sitting down at the literally at the kitchen table and saying, you know, what is it that I want to do, and just started sketching on a on a piece of paper and just throwing ideas around, and and very quickly this idea that turned into Hive started to form in my head. You know, and it, it wasn't the 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 finished product but all of a sudden you know i had a bit of space just to to be by myself just to think let my mind go and it's amazing how how quickly you start you know thinking of different things and ideas start kind of filtering through and and i think that that was the genesis of hive ultimately you know at uh, four or five days in, i started thinking you know thinking back to my journey of of arriving in dubai as a 22 year old and and the kind of the struggle i went through in terms of finding accommodation and and the the kind of realization of arriving in dubai and finding this real estate market that was quite quite daunting for a young person to navigate in terms of figuring out the rental market the brokerage system here the the check system the upfront payments you know that always kind of stuck with me the the journey i went through and i guess when i had a bit of time to reflect and sit by myself with my thoughts i started thinking you know, isn't there an opportunity there in terms of developing a product that's a bit friendlier towards young expatriates? The you know the young expatriates that Dubai is so reliant on, and that Dubai is always uh, sort of attracting. You know, and uh, yeah. Long story short, I think that that's kind of the genesis of
0: Hive. You know, from um, from Uber to Airbnb, bringing new ideas to market, especially ones that save money can cause a bit of friction right especially from the establishment because you're disrupting existing business models for those established players how do you navigate that in a market like the golf where those players often have royal ownership to some degree it's an interesting one i think we still we
1: still in our early days so whilst the idea is definitely disruptive in the in the sense of you know, disrupting the current residential real estate market, I, I don't think, you know, and, and the fact that we, we haven't launched officially, we're just about to open and bring our first project to life. I, I, I feel like we've probably flied under the radar a little bit for the time being, but at the same time, Dubai is a, a gigantic market, you know, and certainly in the residential space most of the developers today are very much focused on the off-plan sales market and and marketing units towards investors, you know. And so I think in that sense, we're probably not the biggest threat uh, to any of the, the bigger players in the market. But we certainly do think that going forward, if we look over the next 10 to 20 years and the emergence of the, the millennial generation and Gen Z and and their kind of consumer habits and lifestyle preferences, we definitely think this idea of, flexible on demand convenient living will come through much much stronger especially in the residential space so who knows maybe it's maybe it's a case of other developers you know noticing what we're doing and thinking that's a good idea and that's a good way to to kind of capture the the millennial market and most probably also pursuing a similar type of concept
0: and and just how challenging was it to get the regulatory sign off on what you're doing i'm asking because You know, there's usually quite significant deposits involved when you're moving into a rental here, covering everything from cooling to water and and internet access. Everything adds up, but you're upending all of that with Hive, correct?
1: Absolutely. I think the the most challenging part was actually getting buy in from other stakeholders, you know, in in terms of investors, investment, and and capital. It's a very, very capital intensive uh, business that we're in when i left employment the employed world and the safety of that that was july of 2017 and uh, as i said very early on i started working on that idea and i probably spent about 6 months just hold up figuring out you know what what exactly do we want to do and how do we do it in in light of the current regulatory framework but also making sure it actually stacked up from a financial point of view that turned into an 18 month journey of literally having nothing else to do but try and find investors, try and find a way to reach them, and then pitching my story and pitching the idea. And 18 months is a long time when you're doing that and uh, having people turn you away. You question yourself, you question your idea. And uh, luckily, I was fortunate enough one day, I think I'd, by that time I'd approached uh, more than 170 uh, different investors. And uh, one day, uh, a colleague of mine or an acquaintance of mine uh, called Fadi Sardine, Uh, Phoned me up and he said, "Bass, um, I know you're looking for investors. I might have just the guys for you. I think it's worth a coffee. Uh, Let's go and meet them." I said, "Absolutely happy. Just tell me when and where, and I'll be there." And uh, long story short, Fadi introduced me to the guys at ARM Holding, and uh, very, very fortunate in having found kindred spirits in them. From the very first moment Uh, I put the idea on the table, it really resonated with them. They'd already started bouncing this idea around internally and saying, guys, there's a investment hypothesis here. There's a, there's a, there's a problem in the market. And, uh, I think our paths crossed at exactly the right point in time. You know, I I'd, I'd spent about two years doing the, the groundwork. Uh, they'd already started looking at this. They, they had significant real estate investments uh, in Dubai already. And, uh, yeah, good idea, met good guys with capital, um, available. And, uh, a new partnership was born and that was, That was July of 2019, so almost exactly two years to the day of kind of having left employment and started.
0: If we take a bit of a bird's eye view, there's definitely other co-living products in Dubai. Whether those can truly be called co-living in a traditional sense, I guess, could be a discussion for another day. But I think it's fair to say that your product will be probably the most flexible one in this market and, and from my understanding really aims to build a sense of community beyond just offering a bunch of co-working desks on the ground floor. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, what we, what we set out to
1: do going back to 2017, 2018 was to come up with a, a living solution that was affordable, it was flexible, and it offered convenience. Okay. Those are the key things. And then at the same time, we said, wouldn't it be nice also if where we lived was a bit more connected, a bit more interactive. There was a bit more of a social angle to it, you know. So this idea of community was very, very strong at what we were doing. From the get-go, though, we said what we wanted to do was provide a form of housing for people. And so that kind of, by definition, meant a longer-term product. You know, we were, we were looking at, at people looking for annual leases. You know, I, I want a place to stay medium to long-term. And... Um, and, and that's the way we've built Hive, you know. So Hive is really marketed towards people who see themselves being here for a year or two, and then probably relocating back to their home country. And at the same time, because they only have a short time span, um, or at least they think they do, you know, similar to myself, I arrived. I thought I'd be here for two years. Here I am for ten. But because of that short-term mentality, you know, millennials or my peers certainly are looking for something that's kind of plug-and-play. It's hassle-free. It doesn't require huge amounts of capital investment. And, and that's what Hive has been built on. We offer you the, the chance, or the opportunity to move into an apartment that's already fully furnished. Uh, you pay for it on a monthly basis. So it's flexible in that sense. And if you ever want to up and leave, you give us 30 days notice and you move out penalty free. So one of our big um, pain points or one of my big pain points when I initially moved here was this idea of having to commit to a 12 month lease and then being really locked in and Custom in the market being that if you want to terminate your lease because of an event happening, having to pay very, very steep cancellation penalties that, frankly, are unjustified. And so for us, we said, let's offer a product in Hive where people can arrive. They don't have to go out and buy a whole bunch of furniture. They don't have to pay a broker commission. They don't have to lay out um, a massive amount of cash in the form of two checks or four checks or anything like that. They can literally arrive, furnished apartment meets you, you pay one month security deposit, you pay one month's rent and off you go. It's all inclusive, it's fully fixed, so it doesn't fluctuate. You don't have a massive bill one month, um, uh, so it's fixed in that sense. And if anything happens, give us 30 days notice and you're out of here.
0: So Bas, you're, you're finally bringing this to market. Looking back, what's been the biggest challenge during the design and construction process? I'm asking because I'm, I'm sure the view is very, very different from the top versus just being an employee due to the sheer number of things you have to juggle in ensuring that uh, you're able to deliver this on time.
1: You know, it's, as a small company and a small business owner, it's just the, the the sheer amount of different plates that you have to juggle at any one point in time. You know, Uh, luckily for me, my background is in real estate development and construction. So I understood the process, but it's, it's also very challenging when you are working with other people's money and you've made promises and you've sold people a concept and you really have to deliver on it, you know? And so there's a lot of stress and anxiety and pressure that comes with that. But at the same time, it's extremely fulfilling. In the early stages of my career, I was always delivering certain parts of big projects, and there was there was always someone above me that I was reporting to and taking the final call. You know, and I think sometimes I would feel that a certain decision had to be taken, and often the the stakeholder above me or my line manager that I've been reporting to would would take a different course, and you know, oftentimes that seemed like the wrong course of action to me, and I you know I think I was a little bit arrogant in that way until until i was on the other side of the fence and i think one of the things i didn't realize was you know that the many different directions you get pulled into when you're the ultimate decision maker in that capacity you know you you have financial considerations you have legal considerations there's so many different considerations where as a young employee you don't really see or feel that you know and so being at hive you know and sometimes as a silly example um you know a very abstract example but you know, maybe there'd there'd be a design decision to be made uh, about the building. You know, do we take this design or do we pursue that design? And, you know, as a young employee, it would be clear to me, let's go with that design. It's the coolest, nicest, innovative design, you know, but being on the other side of the fence and kind of realizing the financial implications, the maybe the implications on timelines. I think that was really, for me, the key realization and the pressure that goes with kind of juggling all those facets.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Delivering on the core rather than the bells and whistles. Looking back on the past few years, especially as you're about to launch now, is it fair to say that Bass, the person, has evolved throughout this process?
1: Ooh, difficult question. I, I think I've had very little time to to ponder that. I'd probably say I'm a bit more holistic in how I, how I look at matters. I try and really think through problems in a, in a much broader way, from different, different facets, and I think, I think one of the things that you do learn and one of the things you have to make come to grips with as an entrepreneur is embracing problems. You know I think in the early days of my journey with hive, I, I was really intimidated by problems, and you know I'd wake up kind of fearful of the problems that I'd encounter. Uh, that day, you know, that week. And, and I was really stressed out and anxious about this, you know, and I, I can't remember who it was. It was one of my acquaintances who kind of gave me this insight of looking at it in a different way, you know, kind of thinking of each of, I know it's a bit cliche, but kind of thinking of each of these problems as an opportunity, you know, as a hurdle to overcome and something that will set you apart, you know, and, and I think slowly you kind of make this mind shift from looking at, a problem is this daunting monster to kind of thinking, you know what, this is, it's an opportunity to tackle something and to, to solve something, you know, so it, it's, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity to solve something and to move one step closer to where we need to be, you know, and I say that, like, I get excited by problems. I definitely don't, but I think, you know, it, it makes it, it certainly makes it a bit more bearable, the journey.
0: Would it then be fair to say that the, the product that you have in Hive, Could essentially act as a gift to the old bass.
1: It's a very nice, it's a very nice way of thinking. And and absolutely, I I mean, I it's funny how many people I meet on my journey when I tell them what I'm doing, they just go, Man, I wish you had that when I arrived in Dubai. You know, and I say, same here, and this is why I'm doing it, you know. And absolutely, I would have loved it. I would have embraced it, you know. And I I think I think some of the best ideas out there are just personal challenges that people are trying to solve, you know, no matter how simple it is, you know, and it's, it's just, you know, I think when you have that moment, and I always try and and think about that wherever I go, like, you know, when you have that moment of thinking, why, why are they doing it in this way, there's a better, surely there's a better way of doing this, you know, I, I think there's so much power in those moments, you know.
0: Absolutely. And I have to ask, where do you see this co-living trend going globally, especially against the backdrop of COVID-19? I mean, the the pandemic is not going away anytime soon. I mean, for
1: me, it's clear. And I mean, people talk about this to death, um, you know, post-COVID world. How do we work? How do we live? I think what's really clear and what we can say is real estate has moved from this, you know, very capital intensive, very rigid kind of product to Something that has to be much more flexible and consumable on demand, you know. So we 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 already saw that in the the commercial market, you know, with the likes of WeWork and coworking coming through, where you know they take these very rigid, massive, very expensive floor plates, chop them up into little pieces that people can literally come in for for days, sit down, work, uh, pay by the hour, and move on. And I think. I think we have to embrace that, you know, real estate, the real estate industry will have to embrace that. If we if we are to succeed going forward, you know, we, we're dealing with digital nomads. We're dealing with people with a lot more flexibility, being able to work from anywhere, being able to live from anywhere. And uh, I think real estate will have to reflect that. And in that sense, I think co-living really will have a place at the table, certainly in the sense of it offering flexibility and convenience. And I think... My generation certainly are happy to pay for convenience and flexibility. Um, the, and then I think the the other the other part of co-living that you know we don't want to overlook is this idea of living in a community of more connected people and where you can interact with others and you you can collaborate with others. And I think certainly in places like Dubai, where it's a very transient uh, expatriate community, I think that that sort of advantage of offering a, offering people a place where they know they can get plugged into a network of like-minded people and kind of combating this sort of urban loneliness i think that also has a very very strong part to play going forward
0: so you've um, you've had your first tenants move in and the 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 project's official launch is happening very soon w- what's next for hive as a company i'm asking because the lack of flexibility and perhaps affordable living options that speak to young people is not unique just to Dubai or the UAE. To, to some extent, um, I guess in Hive, you, you, you probably do have a prototype that could be used across the wider region.
1: I think for, for us, certainly in the short term, we're very focused on just proving this out, um, proving that it works, proving that there's demand for it, proving that it stacks up financially. And uh, then slowly but surely uh, scaling this up, we certainly see room for a few more hives in Dubai uh, itself, definitely uh, places like Abu Dhabi. And uh, I think if you look at the UAE in general, you know, and, and, and the mandate from, from the UAE government in, in the sense of attracting young creative talent uh, from, from the sort of broader GCC market to Dubai, I think this product will really resonate with them and will probably need more than 120 bedrooms that we have here in JVC to kind of accommodate that demand. So that's that's the next logical steps for us. For me, I'm really passionate, so I'll, I'll keep going at it um, until, we, until we can prove that out. And I think then maybe in the medium to long term, we'd, we'd probably turn our attention to the wider region, places like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, um, Turkey with you know, very young, vibrant uh, populations uh, and look to to scale the product and take it to those markets as well.
0: And finally, Bass. I understand that uh, Hive isn't your only baby on the way.
1: Absolutely, yes. So, uh, so that's the next big step on my journey. So uh, it's funny because I Hive Hive JVC's pretty much been my baby for the last four years, and and that's that's kind of coming to fruition in uh, in January February of 2022, and then at the same time, my wife's expectant and due date early Feb of 2022 with a, a baby girl. So. I have uh, both my babies, so it'll be a challenging, daunting time, but I'm super excited, super excited for, for fatherhood.
0: Thanks for listening to Global Innovators, brought to you by World One Media. Visit globalinnovators.world for more information and remember to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date with future episodes. Also let us know what you think by rating us wherever you're listening. I'm Jim Stenman, catch you again next time.